Hello and welcome to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. We're recording this episode live from ConnectWise IT Nation London 2023 in the capital of the United Kingdom. And my guest today is Peter Kajawa, the Vice President of Service Leadership and TSP Evangelist. We'll cover what TSP means very, very shortly. Service leadership is helping IT solution providers to build shareholder value and reach top quartile or best-in-class profitability through objective benchmarking, advanced peer groups, self-paced performance improvement tools, executive training, and individual management consulting for MSPs worldwide. Now, Peter is a competitive and experienced executive focused on developing excellence in people, culture, and business results. And Peter has demonstrated a long history of successful leadership in the B2B technology services industry. I'm honored he's joining us here today for the podcast. Peter, welcome to Tub Talk. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Let's jump straight in with something I alluded to in the introduction there. I normally refer to managed service providers, IT solution providers. Service Leadership ConnectWise refer to TSPs. Tell me what a TSP is. Uh, that would be a technology solution provider. So it's more of a broad category. Yeah. Service Leadership actually benchmarks 10 different TSPs, um, what we refer to as predominant business models, PBMs. Um, so MSP is certainly one of them. It's our largest sample set. Uh, but we also benchmark product-centric, also known as VARs, which are defined as 60% or more of their revenue from product. Um, as well as other infrastructure types, such as project-based, uh, break-fix, or also known as uh, uh, technical service-based. Um, we also benchmark application development shops, different flavors of those. So, um, so ConnectWise is servicing a broader market other than just MSPs as a service leadership, but definitely by far uh, MSPs are our largest market yes. uh, market niche. So I'll say to the audience now, forgive us if we use TSP and MSP sort of in, um, interchangeably during the course of this interview. I, I'm also intrigued as well, TSP. I, I think the managed service provider sort of acronym feels a little bit dated and probably in need of, of change. Is So do you tend to use MSP and TSP uh, interchangeably uh, or do you see a TSP being different to an MSP? It depends. And MSP is a type of TSP. So yeah. if we're talking about the broader category, we'll use TSP. But if we're talking about the what MSPs do, which is at least 40% of their revenue is coming from services. And of those, managed services is the dominant revenue uh, within their services revenue. Yeah. If that's your definition, then we certainly hit MSP as the definition. Yeah. So we still use MSP. It's interesting uh, that you would that you would say it's becoming dated. I've heard that before. Um, what's interesting to me about that is when I started in the industry in 2010, nobody knew what an, a managed service provider was. You right. spent the first 20 minutes of every client meeting explaining the concept of managed services. So it's fascinating to me that 13 years later that um, we're looking at whether the term is uh, is now a dated term and we need to update it. Well, before we jump into service leadership, I, I want to expand upon this because you've hit the nail on the head. I have never, I, as a former MSP owner myself, I have never had a conversation with a client where they've asked to speak to an MSP. They always call us like the IT guys or a technology partner or something, which is why an, another reason why I think that MSP acronym maybe feels a little bit dated at this point. Perhaps we can come up with some, perhaps it could be TSP, that clients can use as well as we use within our own industry as well. So we'll, 
I will try to remember to refer to TSP throughout the remainder of this interview. But uh... Uh, MSP is fine. <laughs> Again, if we're talking about the managed service industry, um, our definition and term that we still use is MSP. So, Got it. Yeah. Um, but in, in the audience at this event and at, at most events that I speak at, there are uh, still VARs that are product-centric. They're trying to get more into managed services, but that's a tough, uh, tough transition to make. Um, and so, uh, so when we talk, we definitely still are seeing some that are outside of managed service provider. But anybody listening today who's an MSP, uh, I'm happy to use the MSP term because that's still the relevant term. Absolutely. So I've, we've got a little bit far ahead. Uh, I, I've taken us off course already, as I often do during these interviews, uh, talking about TSP versus MSP, but service leadership. So for the, for the benefit of our audience, can you tell us a little bit more about what the company does to help IT business owners? Sure. The company was founded uh, almost 20 years ago by Paul Dipple and Brian O'Connell. And uh, both Paul and Brian are industry legends. I think uh, many, many here at this event have told me that they've heard Paul speak over the years. And yeah. so uh, Paul and Brian sold the company uh, about two years ago, just over two years ago to ConnectWise. But service leadership was founded to help provide objective data to the industry on what good looked like. And both Paul and Brian came out of the space and both had worked at some very large uh, product-centric and MSP providers. And uh, both really saw a need for objective data. And so uh, they set the business up and started to benchmark the IT industry 18 years ago. And we still today benchmark, that's our largest product output. Um, every quarter, providers from all over the world. And in our annual report, we mentioned last year that over the years, we've benchmarked providers in 102 countries. So uh, we still, every quarter, providers all over the world in 10 different predominant business models enter their data into our system. And every quarter, we provide reporting back to those companies that tell them how they're doing, not only relative to how they did relative to last quarter and a year ago, but how they did, probably more importantly, how they did relative to what we refer to as the best in class in the industry. Um, and the, the best in class is defined every quarter we look at who are the top 25% most profitable providers in a sample, and those are what we categorize as our best in class. So if you benchmark with us, you get a report back that says, here's how you did, here's the areas where you did really well, here's the areas where you didn't do well, and, and here's how you're doing relative to the best in the industry. Um, so it provides tremendous data to a provider who's trying to understand how does my pricing stack up to the industry? And right. Am I am I paying my people too much, or am I overstaffed, or am I understaffed? And really understanding how to run your business in a way that drives the best results, not just relative to where the industry was five years ago, but relative to the industry this last quarter. Um, and so we've been we've been doing the benchmarking thing for a long time. Um, that data uh, provided us a view into how the industry was doing. And, um, and the great thing with the data is it tells you how you're doing. What it doesn't do is tell you how to improve those results. Right. And um, so the analogy that I use is when I go to the, my doctor every year for a physical and I go in in the morning and get my blood work done and I go in and meet with the doctor in the afternoon and he says, well, your cholesterol is a little high here, over here you're good, um, you're 
you're, you otherwise look good. You need to lose 20, 25 pounds. Um, you know, come back and see me in a year. Well, if I don't change how I'm doing things every day, if I don't change my exercise, my diet, make other lifestyle changes, a year from now, I go back to the doctor and he'll say, well, your cholesterol's a little high. You need to lose 20, 25 pounds. And, um, you know, you'll have all the same results. And the same thing is true with, with any MSP. If they don't make fundamental changes in their business in certain key areas, their results aren't going to change. Um, and, and it's probably even more uh, serious with the MSP because the industry is evolving. So if, you're, if as a provider, you're running your business and you're not making changes, not only to fix things that need to be fixed, but then you're not keeping up with the rest of the industry as the industry is evolving, uh, you really are going to find yourself in a world of hurt. So, um, so the second product that we came out with was a product called Sleek, which is spelled S-L-I-Q. And Sleek is an online assessment and coaching tool that really tells a provider how to achieve best-in-class results. And it gets into great detail on things like pricing and packaging and compensation and financial reporting that MSPs you know, should be using. And there's five different areas that it covers, strategy. And so um, Sleek gets into huge detail and telling them how to do different things within their business to achieve best-in-class results. So that's the second thing. The third is historically service leadership had peer groups, and we uh, ran those groups. We provided the content in those meetings. And um, and those we still have those peer groups, but they're now under Evolve. So Evolve administers them, but we still provide the content. So I'm in those. In fact, next week I'll be spending two days in uh, two different peer groups in Dallas. Um, and so we still run those on a quarterly basis. So really, um, and we've pulled back from the consulting. We've pulled back from everything else that we do. Uh, ConnectWise's mission to us is because we can we we can show that anybody who benchmarks and uses Sleek, um, they're going to grow faster. They're going to be more profitable. They're going to be likelier to do acquisitions. All these good things that happen if you're growing faster and more profitable. Connectwise's mission to us is get the word out to as many place as many companies as you can worldwide. That Connectwise has about twenty thousand partners, and their goal is for all 20,000 to benefit from the guidance that we're able to bring to the table. So we're working on some new ways to do that and we're spending our time really focused on growing the products, coming out with some new products to do that and also getting out and doing what I'm doing here, which is evangelizing and trying to really spread the word about how to improve your business. Well, I was gonna say, I hope this podcast shines a light on the good work that you're doing. I can speak from experience uh, to this. Just before we came on air, I was saying that I used, uh, many listeners know, I used to run a managed service provider business. We were part of what was then known as HTG. In fact, I was a founder member of HTG 11 here in the UK, very uh, one of the first two members. And we used to use service uh, leadership uh, back in the day. So uh, it was incredible for us uh, to give us that benchmark to understand where we needed to focus our efforts uh, to move the needle, as uh, many people will be familiar with that sort of phrase. And it was back on Tub Talk 31, I spoke to Paul Dipple. Oh, I've known Paul for, for many, many years, and I owe a debt of gratitude to that man, actually, because he helped me um, get my MSP into a position where I could sell it as well. So, uh, Paul, if you are listening to this, thank you very much and uh, for all of the work that you've done for the industry there. Um, 
I'm intrigued. Before we jump into uh, service leadership a little bit deeper, what's your backstory, Peter? Where did you come from, and you know, how long have you been in this space? Uh, my backstory. I'm, we, I'm glad we have enough time. My backstory is a <laughs> pretty convoluted one. I was introduced at a speaking engagement a couple of years ago as having a background that's colorful and strange. Colorful and strange. And I wasn't yeah. sure how to react to that, but I, I think it was a compliment of sorts. Yeah. But um, my background is I started out uh, my career in sales and in sales management in the uh, cellular phone industry years ago and did really well with that. I enjoyed it a lot, and um, but decided to go back to law school. And so um, I graduated from law school 10 years after graduating from undergrad and I decided pretty quickly that I liked running a business more than I liked working at a law firm and ended up, um, uh, it's a really long story, but I ended up uh, running two businesses that an attorney owned. And one of those businesses was a fintech company, a financial technology company, and more of a startup, uh, early stage company, and was CEO of that company for seven years, grew it. Uh, we were extremely successful in that time. And after seven years, um, a friend of a friend uh, owned an MSP in western Wisconsin, and we were living in eastern Wisconsin at the time, and wanted, and we had talked about moving back there, and my wife and I both met in, in uh, western Wisconsin, and uh, the MSP was in need of a turnaround. And I thought, how hard could this be? I have <laughs> IT people, I do outsource IT. I had strong opinions at the time that if, and this was back in 2010, that if you could do what you said you were going to do on time and on budget as an MSP, that you would dominate the world because I couldn't find a single MSP that did any of that with any degree of customer service. Right. And I still, uh, the industry has improved there. There's still an opportunity for further improvement, but um but I went into it pretty naively, thinking that I had done four turnarounds already and had been a successful CEO that um, I could impart my magic and wisdom and we could quickly turn this thing profitable. Um, but it was a tough situation. The MSP that I took over uh, had 2.2 million of revenue and was losing a million five um, and in the prior 12 months to me getting there. So it was a difficult turnaround. Um, I... Uh, uh, we did a lot of things that I had done in traditional turnarounds, looking at your customer base and pricing and packaging. But the challenge back in 2010 was really understanding how you were supposed to do any of this stuff. Right. Um, the MSP industry was still really new, as you recall. And there were a lot of different theories about how to go to market and what really worked and what didn't work. And everybody sounded convincing. And You'd go to uh, CompTIA or other conferences and you'd hear a speaker and think, wow, I should be doing it. Well, maybe that was the right way to do it. Maybe not. And so we had a year later, we had done pretty well. We were still losing money, but much less. We were growing the business. We were hanging on to our customers more, but we still weren't at a point where we were profitable. And I was, I was starting to believe that it was impossible to be profitable as a managed service provider, that my belief at the time was that the entire industry existed to give a bunch of technologists jobs as owners and let them work with their buddies and have fun during the day doing technology, um, but that nobody was really making any money. Right. And so I would talk to other owners, and that's that was generally the conclusion that we all came to. Um, around that time, I discovered service leadership and 
Uh, we started to benchmark and we joined a peer group and we had immediate positive results. So, um, so I attribute the ability for us to turn that business around uh, significantly to the guidance that we got from, from Paul and from service leadership at the time. Um, I stayed there. We went. We were acquired um, in 2012. We did three acquisitions before and after that acquisition. And um, so I stayed there for 12 years, and we had grown that by the time I left to a $17 million a year MSP and uh, no longer had 17 employees. We were up to 85. And so we had really turned the corner. It's a great, it was a great business. It's, that company is still doing really well. Um, but the chance to come on board service leadership and help hundreds or thousands of companies the way that I was helped and that uh, I, I, it's not hyperbole to say that service leadership really saved our company. It saved uh, our, our employees' jobs. Um, it allowed us to really be successful. So the opportunity to be able to impart that kind of guidance uh, throughout the industry was something that was really exciting to me. Yeah. And I will say from a personal level, it parallels my own journey to a degree in that after I sold the MSP business, I thought, what do I want to be when I grow up? And actually, it was helping other MSPs and sharing the knowledge that I'd learned from Paul, Brian, uh, Arlen, people of that nature uh, to the audience. So I love that story. And uh, how did you describe it again? Colourful and... Colourful and strange. Colourful and strange. <laughs> I, I think that's a compliment because that's, a, that's a, a good way of putting it. So, now, you're here in London to deliver some sneak peek slides or sneak preview slides uh, of EMEA-specific a remuneration and compensation data here at IT Nation. Are there any insights that you can share with us right now for the listeners? Without, I don't know, am I going to get you in trouble here, giving too much away from your presentations? No, I'm happy, happy <laughs> to share it. It's really, really exciting. Um, so the background on the remuneration compensation data is that from the time I joined service leadership, almost immediately I started getting a request for information on compensation and remuneration. And um, there wasn't a week that went by last year where somebody didn't ask, what should I be paying my level ones? What's the market showing right now for increases? Are you seeing really high percentage increases? What's the, what's the number? And so we would get all those kind of requests. And it makes sense. Obviously, the wage inflation um, has always been an issue in our industry. Wage inflation in the IT industry has historically outpaced inflation in other industries. But the last two to three years have been, been crazy. Oh, yeah. um, and it's the largest expense for every MSP. It's the largest inf uh, negative impact on their cost of goods sold. Um, and so understanding how to pay your people, it's hard to find something more important than that. Maybe what to charge your customers is the only thing that's a higher impact item. And so we made the decision in October of last year to bring back our compensation uh, report. Uh, service leadership used to do one every other year, but the last one was from 2015. And, um, and, then, and, and it's a huge amount of work to do it. So with the acquisition and with everything else, it fell by the wayside. And we decided to bring it back. Uh, we did. And then uh, we also decided we're going to do it annually. So the we think that the... Uh, market changes enough that we need it annually and that the demand is there. So uh, we gave providers, we announced it in November and gave providers a chance to put their data in. And if they did by December 15th, they got a free copy of, or they'll get a free copy of the report. And uh, by the end of March, when we release it, 
Um, if they didn't, they're not out of luck. We'll have a full copy of the report available for purchase at the end of April. Um, and so anybody who wants that can reach out to their ConnectWise sales rep and they'll be able to get that for them. Um, but the data in it is unbelievable. So we had a large enough data set from all over the world that we were able to do not only combined data, but we were able to do regional specific data. So what I've been showing this week is a lot of EMEA specific data on compensation. So uh, some of the really interesting takeaways. Uh, first of all, we're the only company in the world that can correlate compensation or remuneration data to profitability. Because we have both uh, sets of data, we took all this data and we looked at, okay, well, here's what the average looks like. So we're presenting averages for over 50 different positions, uh, technical positions, back office positions, such as finance, um, sales, account management. So we have over 50 different positions and we'll show averages for compensation, we'll show averages for uh, that are averages for total annual earnings. We'll show averages for increases last year, averages for planned increases in 2023. Uh, we also have in there information on percentage of total annual earnings that's tied to variable compensation, um, which is one of the best practices for every, every MSP. What was fascinating in the data is that um, was the correlation with profitability. So one of the slides that, I, that I'll be showing this week shows that the best in class, the most profitable companies are paying two to three times as much of their compensation as a percentage that's variable than the bottom quartile. Mm. So the bottom quartile companies, for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, they tend to pay the most and they have the least of it tied to incentives. The best in class tend to pay the least and have the highest percentage tied to incentives. So the best in class are, are just much better at aligning their compensation with company success. Um, and we have a lot of guidance on how to do that, but what's fascinating is seeing the data and seeing that how it's really being put into practice today. That is absolutely fascinating. And I think an underlying um, theme to our conversation here, something I've talked about many, many times on this show, lots of MSP owners tend to manage their business by gut feeling. Yes. Yeah, I um, feel, you know, emotional gut, you know, this is our, I think this is our biggest customer. I think this is our best engineer, you know, things like that. I've talked many, many times about, you know, accelerating the growth of your business by managing by metrics. That old, I think it was Peter Drucker, wasn't mm -hmm. it? What can be measured can be managed. So you're talking here specifically about uh, engineers, uh, staff within the service delivery team, if they are incentivized uh, and, and perhaps the base salary doesn't necessarily need to be as uh, competitive or uh, above and beyond. But if they're incentivized in the right way, they're going to perform better. The business is going to perform better. Is that a, you know, a summary? That is. So, both, uh, so we'll show the data both yeah. for staff positions and for management positions. So typically our guidance is uh, staff positions, junior staff should be around 10% of their compensation should be tied to incentives. And those incentives should be a mix of, of both things that they can control and then company success. Um, uh, um, more senior staff and management should be closer to 20%. Um, and what I've heard over the, over the last uh, year and a half as I've been a service leadership from a lot of companies based over here is that, well, 
that might be for the U.S. But right. it, but over here, we don't pay incentive compensation. <laughs> it's that's a whole different thing. And culturally, nobody would go for it. Well, our data says otherwise. Um, and what our data shows is that the level of incentive compensation is in fact lower in Europe than it is in any of our other regions, uh, including Australia, um, but not by much. And the and there's still significant percentages that are tied to incentives over here. So the notion that incentive compensation is a, a uniquely American or uniquely North American concept is, is not true. Yeah. Um, that we're seeing a lot of best in class get great success with it over here. There is a lot of assumption when we do shows of this nature and we speak to people from North America, experts like yourself, well, Richard, that won't work in the UK. And not just to what we've talked about, sales and marketing strategies, oh, the culture's different here in the UK. I, I will say publicly and speak from experience here, when I started my MSP journey, I spent an awful lot of time flying across to the States with the, you know, the top people in the industry who gave freely of their time and experience to me. And uh, many of my peers at the time were saying, well, yeah, that'll work in the States. It won't work here. It did work in the UK for me. And so I'd encourage anybody listening to this, put aside you sort of assumptions about the cultural differences and that, because there's a lot of good stuff uh, to be learned. Well, and they'll be able to see in the report the data both ways. So yeah. we're going to be showing the data by region. We'll be showing it by sub-region in some cases. And so they'll be able to look at that data. The data is the data. Um, and we had a tremendous turnout of participants. Um, so all-time record data set for this by 20% or more. So th the data is there. They'll, yeah. um, they'll be able to use it and make whatever judgments they want to make. Um, the other thing, though, on the compensation uh, information that's really interesting is where you see when we really dissect the best-in-class performance and correlate it to what they're paying their people, um, there's a mentality that the best-in-class are able to develop that is different than the bottom quartile when it comes to staffing their operations. And that mentality is basically, if I hire somebody as a level one, they come into my organization, they do a great job, I, I train them, I promote them up, if, and they become a level two or a level three. If that person comes into me and says, you know, uh, Richard, I've really enjoyed being here, and but Peter's offered me uh, at, over at the hospital system or over at the Fortune 500 company down the street, I've been offered this position that's 30% more pay or 40% more pay. The best in class have built their operations in a way that allows them to replace people much easier. Right. And they're much more narrow on their target customer profile. They support a much more narrow technology stack with less deviations on it. As a result, they can bring in a new level one. They can train that person and get them up and running and productive in about two to three times the speed that somebody who isn't doing those best practices can do. So the... So... Our belief is that the other uh, correlation to what uh, what uh, is being paid is that uh, that bottom quartile producer, that employee comes in and says, I've got this offer, it's 30, 40% more. Well, that bottom quartile producer knows that I need to keep this guy, that I have too much complexity. This guy maybe is the only one who knows how to work with this brand of firewalls and we've got a bunch of customers on it and we use these other firewalls, but we've made all these exceptions, et cetera. 
so I'm going to match your your offer. If I do that, will you stay? And so all of these other business practices that we talk about aren't just about delivering quality of, of uh, output to your customers. They certainly are. That's number one. But they have all sorts of other impacts in your day-to-day operations and your cost structure of your business as well. Um, and so I think the bottom quartile folks are just more held hostage in those cases and have no choice but to uh, match those kind of offers, whereas the best in class will say, you know what, that's great news. I'm really excited for you. I hope it works out well and we keep in touch. And if you know anybody else who's a good fit for a level one coming in and starting their career, you know what a great job we did for you and for training and developing you, send them our way. Yeah, um, yeah. I love that approach. A long-time listeners to this show will have heard me get on my soapbox and talk about MSPs uh, uh, being in danger of having what I call an SPF, a single point of failure in their business. And of course, it's multiple points. It's typically the owner, but I've seen so many MSPs where a specific salesperson has had all the relationships with uh, uh, you know, account management uh, or an engineer or a senior engineer within the business has had all of the knowledge in their head. And when that person goes to leave, it's panic stations. So yep. again, what you're talking about there is, you know, making a, system, a business that is scalable, systemizable, uh, and is not reliant on any one person or any one function there to do it. So I, I love that approach. And uh, I really hope people listen, <laughs> listen to this. That's the whole thing. Arlen Sorensen years ago taught me um, that phrase. He said, uh, vision without execution is hallucination. Uh, I love that phrase. And people, Sounds like something Arlen would say. Definitely. And something that I've picked up, and I'm really hoping our listeners take away from this, there's going to be so much good information that Peter shares with you. Please take action on some of these ideas. Otherwise, they're just ideas, and it's not going to help your business. Now, for anybody listening, and perhaps uh, you know, you're out walking, driving in the car, and you're like, oh, they mentioned a report. I want to go and download. Don't worry. Uh, we're going to include in the show notes for this episode everything that Peter and I talk about, including the so the link to that uh, remuneration report that you talked about when it comes out as well. Um, we've mentioned MSPs a lot. Um, what type of MSPs do you find are attracted to working with service leadership? And let me uh, sort of uh, put a boundary around that question. The reason I'm asking that is when I was an MSP, and we talk about operation maturity levels and things of that nature. We were woefully immature, Peter. I've got to say, with hindsight. And yet, we got so much value from doing service leadership, from doing HTG, now Evolve, things of that nature. So I'm really intrigued. Fast forward to today. What type of MSPs are attracted to working with service leadership? And what type of MSPs do you think should be working with service leadership? Well, the good ones are attracted to working with us. Right. That's statistically Um the uh, the answer is uh, typically MSPs that get up to about a million of revenue or more uh, tend to uh, find us and gravitate towards our, our products. Um, the reason why isn't because if you're under a million, uh, there's not a need for our, our products. In fact, I would argue as somebody who went through the evolution that if, if I was starting out an MSP, or uh, even if I was at a point where I had one or two or three employees, that would be an ideal time to get the guidance on how to build my pricing and packaging and my go-to-market and really make uh, better decisions before I stub my toe and have to redo things. Um, the reason, though, that a lot of, of MSPs don't at that stage is just because of accounting sophistication being lacking. Um, in order to benchmark with us, you do have to have, to have the capability to 
map your chart of accounts out. And um, and it's not that hard. Um, if you outsource your accounting, there's plenty of outsourced accounting companies that work with us and that can help do that. Um, but just typically, there's a lack of business sophistication, I'll say, that comes in at a, a really small size. Once you get up to a million or so of revenue, um, we have providers who benchmark up with us that are all the way up to several hundred million of revenue. So, and everything and everybody in between. Um, our sample set, um, on average, the average MSP that uh, benchmarks is about seven and a half million of revenue. The average in the UK is about a third of that. Um, the average size of MSP over here is smaller. And so when I've looked at the performance characteristics, I think the, the MSP industry here is about where the MSP industry in North America was about five years ago. Really? Um, in terms of size and some of the evolution of the offerings. And, um, and that's okay, that's not a, not a negative. It's just the evolutionary state of the industry. Um, and so uh, we're seeing improvement. We'll see uh, MSPs get there here. Um, I'm confident those same growth trends will ultimately hit here. But, um, but there's still definitely some opportunity for improvement here. Yeah. I want to address a couple of things that, my, that listeners might be thinking about. So I said when I was an MSP and we used service leadership, one of the barriers to entry was the chart of accounts. You know, we had to go through a lot of work and I didn't get in this industry to become an accountant. And it was like, wow. Uh, so I would definitely recommend, you know, that people work with uh, a, a very wise accountant or a very wise bookkeeper to help them with that. That's the first stage. The second objection that I hear, and we had it at the time, uh, Peter, I'll be honest, is we're giving a lot of information away here to a third party. How do you go about anonymizing the data? How do you go about showing benchmarks? What I'm, you know, one story that I heard from somebody is, well, I don't want to give all my details. And then one of my competitors down the road looks and goes, oh, I know who that guy is. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so tell us how the security anonymization works. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that. <laughs> that uh, my favorite one that I've heard is, well, if I'm really profitable, is, am I going to hear from a ConnectWise sales rep right. saying, <laughs> um, now you can buy more stuff? Um, and and all of that is not true. Um, when ConnectWise bought us, they wisely put a wall around our data. So we're set up as a separate sub-company within ConnectWise legally. Our licensing agreements require all that data to be highly confidential. Um, you know, we'll show aggregated data and we'll do some of those things, but we're, we're not even able to share individual data with internal employees and other parts of ConnectWise. So even the developers who work on our products are under individual NDAs. So, um, so the data is highly confidential. And when you view your data, uh, data is anonymized. If you're in a peer group, um, you're able to see the other members of your group, but even those are under, under um, names that are uh, put in to protect the company name. So we'll put in a city or some other reference name. Um, so we go to great lengths to make sure that the data is confidential, that it stays confidential. We fully understand that this is some of the most sensitive information about every provider that we benchmark. And we consider it a privilege uh, to be able to have that data and be able to maintain the confidentiality of it. So it's really, really critically important to us that that continue and, and, the, um, and it will continue. That's um, as we develop the products going forward, uh, we haven't even talked about, we can get to this later, but we're completely rebuilding our benchmarking platform and okay. that will be relaunched later this year. 
Um, part of that will be to simplify the data entry portion. There will be some ability to upload files and to do some things that make life a lot easier on an ongoing basis um, every quarter. Um, but also it's gonna go to a web-based interface that'll be permissions-based. And so, um, so the confidentiality aspect will not only be maintained, it'll be um, in some respects even greater. Um, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And again, for, for listeners, I got so much value out of that benchmarking process. I will say, and it was probably a lot more immature than it is now, it was a pain to get the chart of accounts in order. Uh, sometimes we, I did not wake up going, great, I get to submit my service leadership scores, but the results were worth going through the pain. And it sounds as though you are you know, way more mature at this stage. And so anybody thinking about, uh, would this work for me? I'd definitely encourage you to check it out. While we're on the subject of benchmarks, um, put you on the spot here, are there a couple of benchmarks for MSPs that you could suggest, hey, if you were taking a glance at figures, you'd go, this is the sign of a good MSP or this is the sign of a, this is a red flag. But there may be two benchmarks that you could suggest. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, one of the things um, that we've announced this week is we also have a brand new tool that is available through the ConnectWise PSM team called SL Insights or Service Leadership Insights. Okay. Um, and what this tool does, it's free. Um, the MSP can set up a session with a PSM and go through, a, it's about an hour long, and it'll be a 30,000 foot view of um, OML, their, their uh, traits. It'll cover a few traits at a high level. It'll cover a few aspects of profitability at a high level. It'll cover their value creation strategy at a high level. Um, and it'll uh, talk about modes theory, uh, which ConnectWise has. And then it'll provide, a, at the end, an output, a CEO readout that provides some guidance on all of those things. Um, the idea of it is to help introduce all of those concepts to the MSP owner who maybe doesn't benchmark or maybe is not in sleek today, and really help them to understand how some of these pieces fit together and how they can add value to them and running their MSP. The two profitability metrics that we extrapolate, we have over 60 different KPIs that we benchmark to in our report books. Um, but the two that we cite in that are the service multiple of wages and the sales multiple of wages. And the reason that we use those two KPIs is that when I'm talking to an MSP and they're trying to figure out where do I start, um, you know, I've got all this data, right. it's really common. I got, somebody gets set up, they start benchmarking, they get their first book back and they say, I've got all of this information. Wow, this is great. There's uh, a tendency to want to jump in and fix it all, I should say, from speaking from experience. Right, we've got to become best in class across the board. Probably unrealistic there. It, it very much is. And the old saying that if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. Yeah. Um, my advice always is start with your service multiple of wages and then go to your sales multiple of wages. So the way those work is um, what, this, what the service multiple of wages measures is for every dollar of payroll that you have on your service team, you need to have at least $2.5 or pounds of payroll or of service revenue for that payroll. So it's a 2.5 multiple of wages. And so in other words, if I have a, my service team and by service team, I mean not only your technical service people, but your project managers, your service managers, anybody who's involved in delivering post-sale uh, service to the customer. Um, that if I have a million dollars of payroll there, um, and then I need to have at least two and a half million of service revenue 
um, to be at a 2.5. Best in class, most recent quarter was actually a 2.89. So we're seeing the best in class move this closer and closer to a three. Yeah. But my advice is get it to a two and a half. That if you can get that to a two and a half, you're probably gonna do pretty well. Um, we see the bottom quartile typically somewhere under a one nine or a two. Um, median tend to be in that two to 2.4, 2.5 range. So if you can focus on that, fix that, you're gonna fix the profit engine of your services business. The second KPI is your sales multiple wages. And what this one looks at is not revenue, this one looks at gross margin and says, for every, every dollar that you're spending on your sales, that you need to get $8 of gross margin out of that. So you look at your, your sales, uh, your salaries, commissions, um, all of your sales person cost, and that's what you put in, um, and you look at then your total gross margin for the business over that period of time. So that one states eight is best in class. Um, that one works a little bit differently because you can also underspend on that. Mm. Um, with service gross margin, um, I guess you can get that to a point where you'd have 100% productivity, right? If you, if for every dollar you brought in, you didn't spend a dollar and anything on um, on actually delivering services, you wouldn't be in business very long, but you could theoretically do it. In sales, um, if when we see somebody who has, let's say a 20 or 25 or 30 um, sales multiple wages, well, that's indicative that they're either not counting all of the expense there which would typically be the case when you have an owner doing sales. Right. Um, a lot of times the owner is the owner's supposed to allocate the percentage of their time and cost to that sales expense. A lot of times they don't, and so that's indicative of that. The other thing it can be indicative of is they just are under-investing in sales. That a lot of MSP owners are, um, Let's just say they don't view sales as the level of a profession that they view technical engineering. Right. Um, a lot of the MSP owners I talk to view sales as something akin to voodoo or um, some sort of hex that the salesperson uh, throws out, and they don't really understand what sales is. And so they don't understand sales is a profession, just like engineering is a profession, just like all other professions that drive success in their businesses. A great salesperson is activity-based. They're doing certain activities leading to certain outcomes. Um, and if you're investing in great salespeople, um, you're going to alter and you're incenting the right way, you're measuring the right way. Ultimately, you're going to get output from that. Um, and so when we see an, an MSP that's too high of a sales multiple of wages, it's indicative typically that they're under-investing there. Mm. So you don't want to be too low. You don't want to be under the eight, certainly. Um, you also don't want to be crazy high. Um, so get it, get that to at least an eight. Um, ideally, that's somewhere between an eight, maybe a 12, 13. Um, and um, if you can do those two KPIs really well, Chances are, you're, unless you're uh, really overspending on uh, general administrative on your rent or something, chances are your business is going to be profitable. Yeah, that is fascinating. We could spend 
forever talking about the different levers because it does become like a system. You're like, I'm just going to move that lever a little bit there and that dial a little bit there to try and find. But I want to dig into something else that we talked briefly about, and that is the peer groups uh, aspect of this. So I mentioned that as a founder member of HTG 11, uh, the UK group, there was myself and Raja Pagadala from the final step. We were the first two members there. And it's one of the things that accelerated my maturity in this industry, my personal growth, my professional growth, more than anything else that I could put my finger on. I'm a huge fan of peer groups. You know, we've mentioned CompTIA, got some good groups out there, the Tech Tribe online groups. There's, there's so many out there. But if we talk about Evolve specifically, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about what the peer groups look like. We've already mentioned uh, that perhaps they share financials within those groups with one another to benchmark. But tell us what a typical Evolve group looks like. Yeah, Evolve is a wonderful organization. So HTG that you joined years ago has really continued to grow and mature. And today, um, there's about 500 MSPs worldwide that are participating in Evolve every quarter. Um, so service leadership's role with Evolve is a couple of fold. Number one is all of the Evolve members benchmark with us. And so you know if you join an Evolve group, you're going to uh, benchmarkings included. And part of the advantage of that is not only that you're gonna have every quarter of these discussions that'll help you understand what you're seeing in your benchmarking and how you compare, but also Evolve goes a few steps further with helping you get set up and running with benchmarking. So we do some specialized training for new members and those kind of things. So it's a really easy way to get going and get up and running with it. Um, second is all of the Evolve members are now using Sleek. So in the meetings, they're covering one new trait every quarter and um, focusing in on that. And so we provide both of those tools to the Evolve community in totality. Second thing we do is uh, my colleague, Rob Bufano, who runs our benchmarking data set, Rob and I actually go into those meetings. So Mm. um, we travel. um, uh, Rob was just in Australia. Um, I'll be coming back to uh, London later this year. Uh, We go every quarter to the North America meetings. So we actually go into the rooms and we'll give updates on the latest financial trends and what we're seeing in the industry. Uh, Those members have a chance to ask us questions in a small group environment. And so we really enjoy it. The members uh, get a lot out of it. But Evolve also focuses on on other aspects of running your MSP. Uh, They focus in on your legacy as an MSP owner and building uh, your legacy, making sure that you have an effective value creation strategy. Um, and so they're really looking at more holistically, how do you run the best possible business that you can, deliver the best for, for your customers as possible, but also what's the mark you're going to leave on the world? and What do you want your exit to look like? And, um, and all business owners will exit at one point, right? Some by choice, some by not we, by choice. We think we don't. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this, Peter, who go, I'm happy to do this forever. But then life happens. It happened to me. And that was the catalyst for me selling my business. So you need to be preparing for it sooner rather than, than later, don't you? Yeah. And life doesn't happen forever, uh, as we all would like it to, right? Yeah. Um, so every owner will exit at some point. And um, so Evolve is really great at... Helping, to, helping owners to understand that process and um, and how to balance some of these things with family and with uh, other things that are going on in their life that can be difficult as a business owner to balance. So I would encourage anybody that the cost of Evolve to, um, is really low relative to the value provided. It, it, it shouldn't be cost prohibitive to any size of MSP. You're gonna get much more out of it than you put in from a, a, a financial standpoint. 
And from a meeting and participation standpoint, the biggest cost is the time, right? Every quarter you, you need to really be present. You need to prepare for those meetings and show up. But again, you're gonna get much, much more out of it than you put into it. Um, it's a great organization. Um, the MSP that I ran was a peer group member for almost 10 years, so, um, and still is today. I still uh, see them on a quarterly basis. Um, and so the value is definitely there. I would encourage anybody to reach out to Evolve. It's a great organization. Yeah, so there's probably a chance you and I were in the same room. Uh, what used to be called HTG All, mm -hmm. Uh, a get-together in Dallas, I think it was. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. For anybody listening to this, again, I couldn't recommend these type of peer groups highly enough. Check out Evolve. Uh, back on Tub Talk 117, uh, we did an episode with Dan Scott, who leads oh, up Connectwise Communities. Yes. So if you were intrigued what an Evolve meeting looks like, uh, Dan goes deep into that during that episode. So Tub Talk 117, go and check that out. Yeah, Dan's a great guy. I'm sure Dan would be happy to, to jump on a call with any of your listeners who would want to know more about it. Dan is very, very popular with listeners to this podcast after the episode that he did. So uh, absolutely. We'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, I'm intrigued with something that you said that your uh, service leadership, you're stepping back a little bit from the consultancy side of things. So I know you used to be known, or you maybe still are well known for performance improvement assistance for MSPs. What does that look like now? And, and what I'm thinking specifically, Peter, is people get the figures, what to do about the figures that they get through that. What it looks like today is we're really focused on providing that guidance at scale. Got it. Um, so we're doing a lot of, uh, we still do newsletters. We do, if you are a, if you benchmark with us, we do what's called our financial fireside chats. Um, we do a quarterly um, trait that is a um, broadcast every quarter uh, through Sleek. Any Sleek subscribers are able to go on and, and uh, what's called our Sleek fast tracks and they can view that content. Um, we do our newsletters. We just came out with a new quarterly newsletter. And I would encourage any of you, our members, to go to service leadership because of GDPR. It's difficult for us to maintain email distribution lists yes. here. And so when we come out with content and we come things like our newsletters, um, they're not seen as, as much um, over here as they are in North America mm -hmm. and other regions. So anybody can go to authorize that with, with service leadership, and we'd be happy to get that content out to them. So it, we're talking about all those things and really trying to help. And we're certainly happy to jump on a call with somebody if um, if they want some help on getting set up for benchmarking and they need uh, some additional guidance. We do that all the time. I was just on a call um, last week um, in the evening hours with one of our customers out of Australia. And, um, and so we're happy to do that. We wanna see our goal is to see everybody in the industry using these tools and everybody in the industry really getting benefit from them. So we're really focused on that um, and trying to figure out how to do that at scale. Yeah. Something I neglected to ask about the uh, the peer groups aspect of it. Back in my day when we were doing it HDG, there was a requirement to have ConnectWise as your PSA tool. Mm -hmm. I believe Dan said, that, is that no longer the case? That's not the case, no. Yeah. Um, about 70% of our clients uh, that benchmark with us are ConnectWise uh, clients, ConnectWise managed clients or PSA, um, and about 30% are not. Now, I will say as we go forward, as we, as we launch our new benchmarking platform, as we launch some really neat enhancements we'll be announcing on Sleek soon, what ConnectWise has done is provided us tremendous resources for development. So in the past, service leadership had uh, our development team was constituted of Ken, 
So <laughs> Ken, Ken did all of our programming and, uh, and nice, Ken. Ken is still with us. He did a great job. And Ken, today, Ken is overseeing two scrum teams. Mm -hmm. um, so we have two international scrum teams that are working on our products. ConnectWise has come to us and said, what's the vision? What do we need to take this app to the partner community and add even more value? And what can we do to support you with it? As we've done that, um, if you're not um, on ConnectWise PSA or Manage, uh, you'll be able to continue to use our tools. You'll still get, uh, nothing will be worse for you. But as we go forward, we're gonna have a lot of really neat integrations to automate the pull out of certain ConnectWise tools, um, such as BrightGage, such as Manage, such as uh, ConnectWise Cell, and be able to pull data on an automated basis right. into service leadership tools and populate some of that. Um, there, and that's just the beginning of it. I mean, our, our, our roadmap over the next couple of years is really exciting. Yeah. So you don't have to use ConnectWise. You're probably going to end up wanting to. <laughs> I think that's probably the case. I think you probably will want to anyway. The, yeah. the way that all of these products are going to be integrated for providers and make, make their lives really seamless is going to be a compelling thing once everybody sees that roll out. So. Yeah. Sleek, something just off the top of my head I was thinking about. Is there the potential for other... Are the vendors, are the partners to sit on top of those figures and produce other types of information for, for MSPs? Is that something that's, um, that, that you might explore in the future? Uh, yeah, we've had that in the past. Um, there was a uh, major company that uh, had, an, had a what was called a trade pack within Sleek. Mm. If you were one of their partners that you had access to that and helped you get the most out of their technology. We've had some of those discussions. We may do that in the future. Uh, we've looked at a cybersecurity trade, specific trade pack as one possible enhancement. So uh, we're always looking for ways to improve. Yeah, interesting. We'll see where that goes. You mentioned BrightGage uh, with service leadership. Uh, ConnectWise has made a lot of acquisitions in this space, uh, um, You know, merged up with other companies as well. Um, Without talking about vendor specific, what are you seeing to do with M&A mergers and acquisitions in the MSP space? Are you seeing any general trends that you can share with us? Yeah, um, yes, a, a bunch. So yeah. first of all, activity is still hot. We're still seeing a lot of deals. Um, what, every year we publish multiples that look at um, how the year compared to the prior year. And uh, we go back, I think 15 or 14 or 15 years now on the multiples. Um, what I would tell you is our 2022, 2022 was a really interesting year. Um, it's less of a single year and it is, it's more two half years that were very distinct. Okay. The first half of 2022, 2021 was an all-time record. Deal, volume, multiples, all of it was, was really, really frothy. And as we came into 2022, all indications until about March or April were that that was going to continue and that 2022 would, would be an even higher uh, amount of deals and multiples would be even higher. Um, then two things happened. Uh, the stock market uh, went down precipitously um, and interest rates went up precipitously. And so those two things combined to have a negative impact on most multiples over the course of the second half of the year. So we continued to see deals get done in the second half of the year. Um, in some respects, the deals were a little more reasonable. Uh, we heard from a lot of sellers stories that went something like uh, they would get a call in about June or July from a, a, or a lot of buyers who would get a call from a seller who would say, 
um, hey, buyer, that number that you showed me back in January, anyway, that number's still still on the table? Because uh, if it is, I've thought about it for six months now, and I think it's a good deal. Um, and that, of course, was driven by a 30% decline in the stock market that scared a lot of owners who were looking at retiring in the next year or two and saying, I, I better get out of this what I can get out of it, right? Um, and uh, so we heard from we heard from a lot of buyers that there was more reasonableness from the seller community um, in some cases. Um, deal terms became a little bit more reasonable. Uh, there was a little less cash up front as the year went on. Um, the, the other thing that we heard was the bifurcation of valuations depending on profitability. So if your MSP was very profitable as a percentage, and had a lot larger dollar bucket of, of profitability, um, that those two factors maintained higher multiples, significantly higher. The opposite happened for uh, MSPs who were less profitable or non-profitable. And the reason for that primarily is that um, when you're borrowing at 6%, uh, 6.5% to do acquisitions, that's one thing. When you're borrowing at 11 or 12 percent, as the, uh, as a lot of buyers are now, uh, because interest rate increases, you can't afford to wait two or three years for the acquisition to start throwing off cash. You need immediate cash flow from the acquisition. Right. As a result, I'm going to pay more to get it. Um, and so, the larger MSPs um, that were that were and are more profitable they're just fine. Their valuations are as high as they've ever been. But the smaller MSPs and the less profitable MSPs, their valuations have gone down. Um, the other thing that we're continuing to see is a huge amount of private equity money continuing to come into the space. Mm. And that's certainly the case. It's been the case for a while in North America, but it's the case in, in the UK as well and the rest of EMEA. Um, the, the belief Correctly so, in our opinion, is that, that the private equity community has, is that the managed service space is a really good place to be in the event of a recession. That MSPs have a high percentage of recurring revenue. Um, that recurring revenue is very sticky. That it, um, As long as a business doesn't go out of business, they're likely to continue to need IT support. And so... If I'm a private equity fund and I'm trying to figure out where am I going to deploy several hundred million, uh, the MSP space is a good place to go. Um, and so uh, we're not only continuing to see private equity in the space, we're seeing a lot of new private equity money coming into the space every month. Um, yeah. And so that's that's a really positive indicator of the future health of the industry, in our opinion. It's really interesting if we rewind to March 2020, I think that's a month that's ingrained in everybody's uh, mind forever. You know, I talked about it. Yeah, they started the pandemic, The uh, what we refer to in the MSP circles, I've called it the great working from home rush. You know, when Peter, when people phoned, businesses phoned their MSPs and said, all that stuff you've been talking to us about the last few years, can we do it all now? Yeah, <laughs> so the maturity, or sorry, the, the appreciation for technology sort of went up there. And so it's interesting you say that, you know, we're going to MSPs during a recession are seen as a, a safe bet because if you run any type of business nowadays, you run a technology business really because you can't really run it without technology, can you? So, yeah. Have you been involved in many M&As yourself? Have you, uh, you've done some of those? Could you pull up 
maybe something that you'd see as a red flag for a merger and acquisition not going through? Is there any you've been involved in, you've looked at it and gone, unless they fix this, this ain't going to work? Oh, most of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, that's been my experience I too. I think for every one that, that is successful, there's uh, probably 10 that either never happened or were unsuccessful. Yeah. Um, so yes, we uh, I o- oversaw our acquisition um, and from a seller standpoint, and also uh, I did three acquisitions as an MSP, right. and then I've also uh, been part of a lot of, of uh, M&A uh, since coming on here a year and a half ago. Um, at various levels. Uh, there's so many things that we could go on for a whole episode <laughs> on this one subject, I think. Um, the number one thing is, I think, uh, alignment. That, yeah. that the owner alignment, cultural alignment, um, making sure that really the buyer and seller are on the same page for what this is going to look like after the fact. Uh, and, and a seller really knowing what they want to find. Um, but not only the seller knowing that, uh, or the buyer uh, should be knowing what they want to find, the seller should as well. Um, it's important for a seller to go into the process really having thought through not only is what is the amount that they want to get in a sale, but also do they care about the role of their employees after the sale? Do, what do they want their role to be as the former owner after the sale? Um, and uh, what do they? What's their viewpoint on the customers after the sale? And it, it's not a criticism. There's there's plenty of MSP owners who've done a great job. They've given their time and energy and blood, sweat, and tears to build a great business. And their viewpoint is after the sale, I'm going to be out of it. And whatever the buyer does with our business is up to the buyer. Um, I like my employees, but um, I'm going to be out of the business and let it completely uh, be run by by the, the new owner. Um, and I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go uh, sit on a beach somewhere, whatever it is. Um, and uh, and that's fine. There's other sellers who are very protective of their employees, of their of their customers, and want to make sure that that organization stays intact to the greatest degree possible. What I would tell those sellers is that once you sell, you lose the control over that, first of all. Um, And so you're not going to be able to entirely control that after the sale. That being said, through the the sale process, you can, uh, in your discussions with buyers, identify who's buying you strategically, who really wants to keep everything intact and has a vision of building your organization versus who's planning on buying your organization and, and just hanging on to your customer list. Right. And, um, and those are perfectly appropriate discussions to have um, during the sale process and really understand. And so understanding what's important to you and having clarity on those things is really something that I think is key. And as a buyer, um, you might have one vision of what the uh, former owner is going to do, but make sure you're in alignment with that. ConnectWise has a great uh, concept called modes theory, and that was developed by Arlen and by uh, a couple of other individuals who worked heavily in the Evolve uh, space with, with hundreds of partners over the years. ConnectWise took that, and anybody who wants more information on that can go to ConnectWise's website and put in modes and It'll take you to a modes assessment. You can go through and learn about 
where you are mentally, and then also it'll provide you a lot of materials. And so what Mode says is that there's four different mindsets that an owner has. Um, there's the startup when you're just getting going, value builder, um, and uh, um, balance builder, and empire builder. And a balance builder is somebody who's a life, life cycle owner, that they're more focused on quality of life. They've grown their business to a degree where they're making enough money to be comfortable. They enjoy their business. They enjoy the people that they work with in their business. And, and as a result, um, they're happy. They've to, can, they want to continue to grow it, certainly. But they're not going to take huge risk. They're not going to um, work harder than they have to. And that's perfectly fine. There's a lot of those owners out there in our space. A value builder is somebody who wants to grow their business at a faster rate and is willing to take some risk in it, but isn't going to bet the farm to do to grow it. But they're going to work hard and they're going to try to organically grow that business. Maybe they do the occasional acquisition. Um, an empire builder is the phenomenon we've seen a lot of lately where there's a lot of private equity backing. Right. You're going out and you're continuously um, betting on an acquisition and you're going to try to rapidly grow it. And the idea is to create a large uh, entity that either you're going to then turn around and sell or you're going to run and it's going to be a much larger entity. The point of modes theory is that there isn't a wrong mode, that any of those are fine. And what's important is understanding yours and then as if I'm a buyer going out to buy an MSP and I have envisioned in my mind the role of the seller after closing, I need to understand what their mode is as well, Yeah. right? Because if my idea is I'm going to buy this MSP and I really like the owner and my plan is we're going to be empire builders and this owner is going to lead our strategy of adding a bunch of acquisitions over the next couple of years. And they're gonna be all in on it and I'm gonna have them really incented on this. And in fact, this person is a balance builder owner, that strategy is probably gonna fail. Right. And so, um, so understanding and, and getting into the alignment between the buyer and seller and then understanding how our cultures match up and, all of these things are just as important as what I'm going to see on the income statement and on um, on their customer list and all the things that you tend to look at. This is amazing insight. And as you say, I suspect we could do a whole episode just talking about the M&A aspects because you've shared so much good stuff there. In fact, I'm, I'm putting it out there. We've got to do another episode in the near future to talk about some more uh, of the uh, the metrics, the things, the benchmarking that we talked about and things of that nature. I'm very respectful of your time though, uh, Peter. I've got to ask one question before we go. My family and I, last weekend up in Newcastle upon Tyne, we went to our first UK-based basketball match. I believe you're a huge basketball fan. Would I be right in that? Uh, you are correct, yes. <laughs> what does basketball mean to you? Oh, it's, uh, I was a, I've uh, been a season ticket holder for Marquette basketball at a Milwaukee, Wisconsin Marquette University for 22 years. I'm a grad there. And unfortunately, they just got beat in the NCAA tournament because oh, no. this was going to be their year. But um, but yes, I'm a, a big basketball fan. This is a great time of the year in the U.S. for basketball with the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So if you haven't watched any of that or followed that, that's the, one of the greatest tournaments in sports because every year, You'll have uh, some team that is a 
16 seed, which is the lowest, playing a one seed, or a 15 playing a two, and the two is a huge school, very well-funded, dominant program, and they'll get beat by the 15 or the 16, and it's a David versus Goliath, and it's a single elimination. So, right. um, so it's the it's the greatest tournament in sports for that reason. It's a lot of fun to watch. I love it. I, so I, I went to our first basketball match in the UK. It's so much fun going there. The razzmatazz and the uh, the tension. I've never seen a match with seven seconds left. People calling timeouts left, right, and, sec- and center. That sec- that last seven seconds took forever, but it was a, a lot of fun there. So uh, we'll have to talk basketball in the future when I get more used to the sport. This has been an absolute thrill. So much great information that you've shared, and I know our listeners will will agree. Um, we've talked about a lot of different topics. A lot of different resources have been shared. We'll include them all in the show notes for this uh, episode up on Tublog. .co.uk. But if anybody listening to this wants to find out more about service leadership, peer groups, or wants to continue the conversation with yourself, what's the best way for them to find you? They can go to service-leadership.com to our website and get any information on service leadership. Peer groups go to Evolve. Um, The Evolve organization now runs the service leadership peer groups and the Evolve groups. And so you can learn all about the uh, our groups through the Evolve uh, team. Um, and go to and ConnectWise's website. Uh, ConnectWise's website has a lot of great information for any partner out there. Yeah. Peter, this has been amazing, and I suspect it's not the last time we're going to be inviting you. I would love, love to come <laughs> on anytime you'd have me. Peter, thanks so much for your time. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.